Navigating Change, everybody, be a podcast from Tybal Inc. My name is Pete Wright, and I'm here with the uh, lovely and talented Howard Tybal. Lovely? You've never used the term lovely. I know. You know, I try to change it up. <laughs> try to shake it up a little bit. Try to throw you off your game a little bit, which what is so very difficult me? to do yeah, because you, you're off the road uh, for uh, about six hours. So I've got you uh, 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 for a little bit, and, and you are, have just returned from... Uh, from well not just return i guess it was last week we had uh, uh balmer you were out in balmer yes yeah yeah you're out in balmer doing the uh doing the ikubo 2013 how do i do i sound like i'm straight off the wire right off the wire yeah I, i've been practicing because i know we we're talking about baltimore and I'm, I'm trying to get in the spirit um it, you did a couple of things uh in baltimore as usual we we like to get together and do our uh, our post-mortem on the event you presented uh you you facilitated a fantastic uh panel as i hear and uh, uh you know I, i'm hoping you'll be able to share your key learnings and insights from this uh, uh from the event and and um, uh share what you learned and what maybe you didn't well, you know, when I look at the advanced program and the program guide, the creating, developing, changing, I, I, I think that uh, the association, Nakubo and Okubo, is really getting better at recognizing that there's there there's a call to action that's in front and center for these schools to pay attention to, and the the challenge that I discovered, especially in the Slingo panel, I asked I asked people to raise their hands for the panel. So the panel again was focused on, in response to uh, Jeff Salingo's book, College Unbound, uh, what are some things that have to happen and change uh, at the level of what these CBOs are responsible for, chief business officers. So we asked people to raise their hands. How many of you re research university? How many of you are from um, private, uh, small universities? So we had a pretty good cross-spectrum. And then we tried to have a conversation among the panel, uh, the chair of the um, – the Davis Foundation, uh, uh, the provost, uh, the president of community college. We we, we should I, we should say yes, Will Reed is you. the chair of the uh, Davis Foundation. Uh, Sandra Curtinitis uh, is the uh, uh, president of the community college of Baltimore County. Uh, Peter Stearns, provost and EVP George Mason Perfect. University. And they were, you know, we met in advance. It was it was and we had this conversation in advance about you know what do we what's the message we want to give people and I think overwhelmingly the message is change is coming uh, and from your seat what can you do as a chief business officer to affect this change that's that's the way I was attempting to frame the experience of being on this panel and 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 trying to guide this this group to give the audience some insight about what they see it on the academic side at the presidential level and i think the most interesting thing that i'll just raise is that will Reed got up there with his report and he has you know this wonderful report about the cost structure of higher education and he commented that they put a call out for people to send in proposals for the foundation to give money you know, to explore cost structures, they got zero responses. But they got 70 responses from presidents about issues that they see. And he read some of them. And it was profound. I mean, it really pointed to that there's a deep understanding that we got a problem. But there is a lack of clarity. And I'm seeing this in every conversation I'm in, in a board meeting, in the um, – just led a board retreat at the cabinet level is people are getting better at understanding 
the problems, but they do not have a sense yet about how to navigate it. It's like this, it's like this web that you go after one thing, uh, whether it's uh, retention, it has this ripple effect where, well, well, shouldn't we be talking about this? And isn't the problem or retention related to this other issue? So it's almost like, Pete, in, with a, in, if there's a lack of commitment to solving the problem, uh, by anybody that's in this conversation, then what we end up with is going around in circles in these conversations repeatedly. And I, and I can tell you that I think these people are committed. I think every individual is committed to trying to solve these problems. I think that collectively people do not, do not know how to work together to, to say, let's deconstruct this together, faculty, administration, uh, board, and 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 create a roadmap for solving them. So it becomes very tactical and very siloed and linear as opposed to saying, all right, cost structure problem, what are we going to do about it? Who's going to be involved in that conversation? Uh, part of it's political, Pete. I mean, who's in charge? Well, that that's that's what I was going to ask. Like, where? So the disconnect then is... Um, it, it sounds like, and, and I feel like we've sort of talked about this in, in the past, uh, but it sounds like there is a disconnect between what the administration views as, you know, cost troubles and what uh, faculty is going to, uh, uh, you know, faculty is going to understand as cost troubles and what, you know, facilities is going to understand as cost troubles. And all of those, you know, that is not a a well-defined vernacular for organizations to address, uh, you know, and so everybody's going to approach it from their own sort of protectivist uh, kind of mentality. No question. You know, and, and then you'll try and raise the conversation of the, the, the big picture that higher ed is, is in this transition period. And if you say on the other side of this, what's it going to look like, right? I think that for some institutions, it's going to look the same 10 years from now but it's going to be a much smaller set of schools. I think there's a greater recognition that got spoken about at Salingo's thing or spoken about at this board retreat I recently led is that consolidations are coming. Talk more about that. What does that look like? And, and well, think about yeah. the financial services sector. Uh, there are, you know, 4,000 schools out there. If you include all the community colleges and you include all the different types of schooling out there, and now there's this whole for-profit model that's evolving. And these schools are all competing uh, around a, a certain view of a brand. They draw for the most part from their region. But for the most part, the regional growth, especially in the Northeast, is dec declining uh, very fast right now. So high school graduates in the Northeast is um, I don't know the exact numbers, but ultimately all of these financial leaders know and presidents know that they've got in the next couple of years an issue with less pool to work from. At the same time, they've got these because where, where are they? Where are the students going right now? Uh, are they going to work? Just taking more time off? Going to just-in-time training programs? Going to for-profits? You know, the, the the decline has to do with just the demographics. We're at this point now where the number of high school graduates 
is just functionally out. shrinking, shrinking. Oh, yeah. significantly. Okay. And All they right. knew this was coming. I heard this conversation among presidents uh, three, three, four years ago. They knew this was coming at this point. We're talking about it. And the when I talk about consolidation, I think and and I you know the 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 um, the president of AGB. I was with him. Uh, you know, he led a, he led a keynote the other day, and he he was very frank with with this board that this is it's already happening in some cases, but it's going to increase. It is just inevitable that schools are not not the schools that are not positioned with very large endowments or in regions of the country that they can draw from high populations and that they've got a brand that's recognized, these high-priced, known in the regions, liberal arts colleges, recognize they have to step back and go, who are we? What are we going to do more of? What are we going to stop doing? How do we right-size our structure, both administratively, programmatically, and then ultimately, what are the faculty that we need here? So what's happening now is the conversation is getting clear. The problem is getting clear. And in some ways, as I think about this out loud with you, I think it's okay and it's reasonable that they don't have solutions yet. I think what we have to do is continue to further understand the problem before we can really attack it. And part of the lack of attacking it has also to do with a sense of complacency. People are not sufficiently scared that the problem really is that significant right now. They're not. You know, you know, it's interesting you bring that up. I had a conversation with an with a administrative university here uh, that is small and making, working hard to make the transition to whatever this next future looks like. And as a result, they've adopted for one arm of the university, they've adopted a, a very much a for-profit m- online model. And, uh, and that model over the last, you know, five to eight years has become now the only profitable Uh, division of the university. And their comment was, this administrator's comment to me was, uh, legacy facilities is a boat anchor on this institution with a time bomb attached to it. Yeah. And and so so I wonder, like that that represents to me a a massive disconnect. And I'm sure that they are not alone. Oh, they are so not alone. And and the schools want to figure out how they can retain that land-grant view of you come to the campus and listen, you and I both want our kids to experience the college kind of experience that we had in some sense. You know, you go off, you have this experience. Most most of it. Most of, most it. of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. not all of it. You're right. There's some <laughs> things we can't talk about. But there is something very powerful and important about the, that transition experience into this world where you have the freedom to explore uh, you're in that in-between period in your life, uh, but what's what's what is coming and and pricing the the tuition pricing is the driver for why other models are showing its way and also access is ways of getting at students who can't afford that model, and schools have to decide to decide if they're going to continue to offer financial aid and broaden it to have a bigger pool in, or if they're going to say you know what. We cannot be all things to all people, and and here's here's who we're going after. Here's our core institutional strength. Capitalize on that, 
and we're going to simplify mm-hmm. and 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 in a sense shrink what it is that we offer. Now that is antithetical to how they operate. Once a program's in place, it's almost impossible to discontinue it because there has been some, you know, there was some real thought into putting that program in place. It could have come from an alumni who said, I'm committed to this. At some point, it was a great idea. But the impetus to say, what do we need and what do we not need? We're not there yet. Now, how much you you work uh, also with um, independent schools, right? Uh, uh, high schools, middle schools, that kind of thing. And, you know, I'm I'm at that point where my own kids yeah. are uh, are getting into, uh, you know, middle school, high school age. And one of the things that I'm finding is the way they talk about what comes next in their education is very different than the way I used to talk about what comes next and the assumptions that I made and my family made very different than than I ever did. And this is, you know, from the point where they're, you know, they're, they're in elementary school. They are being talked to differently about education than I was at that point. And that is shaping their assumptions about where they go after high school in a significant way. Well, think about, let, think about, that wave of students coming right. that higher ed is not prepared for. That that's my question. Like, is that, is that how oh. big is that a part of the you know that disconnect between twelfth grade and whatever comes next? There's conversations out there, and there's there are schools that are grappling with. We need to in our enrollment management strategies get in there and start with middle schoolers and elementary schoolers to figure out where this is going, and yeah. we need to start recruiting. The idea that what and, and figure out how we're going to position ourselves so that when these parents and these kids are of age, they're thinking about us as being progressive to deal with these things. You know, I had a board member uh, talk about that he was at a at a recent event uh, talking with um, parents, and they were commenting that every single kid in in this in this high school, they are doing all their assignments on iPads. Right mm-hmm. now. That seems to be a relatively simple thing, but these kids are coming up and they're used to a different way of learning. And there's a lot of criticisms about MOOCs and online, and I think it's a lot of it's valid. What I think has to happen, and it, it's going to take a certain kind of leadership on the academic side, is to say, you know what, it's it there there it it's in its infancy stage, but we got to figure out how we can position ourselves to be prepared for when we get it right, when the for-profits get it right, we're either going to find a way to partner with them or we're going to figure out how to do it well ourselves and make that investment. And I can tell you the schools that I've been around, the ones that are not, even the strong ones, that is a very hard conversation to navigate because the whole structure of you know, the number of credits you take over the course of a four-year period and the structure of of the core curriculum, it is it is baked into the institution. And what they're being asked to do, but if the conversation is just as in its infancy, is to step back and go, should the core be looked at? You know, everybody's happy to talk about graduate programs online. Makes sense, right? Oh, Adult yeah. Adult learners, yeah. Yeah. They'll be happy with, you know, it's like... This On is, your time, your schedule. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. the core curriculum, that's something that they're, they're 
there is they're just beginning to talk about how to have that conversation and often the tenure track faculty sort of live in that core curriculum so it's it's a uh, it's converging and the question is which schools are going to demonstrate leadership to say we're going to bring the best thoughts from our internal leadership at the presidential level at the board level at the faculty level at the student level and we're going to have a dialogue about how we want to change this and that is it's happening but i think what's going to happen over the next couple of years it's going to happen more as we see schools that really demonstrate success but you know it's this funny thing about urgency i've got this slide talks about urgency like what motivates people to change for some people yeah, fear. Desperation. Well, sometimes, fear, see, this is the thing I'm so terrified of. And this is the thing that's interesting for me in this kind of work is that leaders on campuses, presidents in particular, are terrified about getting people to get into a panic mode, right? And right rightfully so. If you raise the issues yeah. at too deep a level, you could actually create paralysis, Right. So instead, they're trying to navigate this right. in the way to say, I have a vision, or we have a vision, and we should be looking at this. And, and you know, I'm working with some presidents who are brilliant at moving this along. The question is, are they doing it fast enough? And the nature of the conversation at Ikubo was very much in this domain of this change is coming. And I can tell you that I know of chief business officers who are on top of this. I know some who are trying to figure out how to get into that conversation and some who have no idea how to actually think of themselves as a leader in this conversation. And that's that's the dilemma. If you think about sort of three different groups, there are, there are chief financial officers who are mm -hmm. true partners with their presidents and boards. There's the middle group and the majority of them who want to get there, but either they don't – there are certain competencies they haven't fully developed or they don't quite have the support yet, but they want to – you know, they're ready to do it. And then there's a small group that really are not in the right roles, right? And you can see that you know, it's, it's just out there. Um, and the change is driving the need to look more more carefully at that. So it's very it's it's very exciting, and for and it's very it's it, scary for some, but it's here. It's 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 here in a way that I think is more clear to them. Uh, but in the end, you go like you leave these conferences and you go like, okay, let me go back to my job. Yeah. And keep yeah. Put my head down and get back to work. Yeah. Monday is still going to be Monday. Let's just hang <laughs> our hat on that. It's still going to be Monday. It sounds like what I'm hearing, uh, like what you said at the beginning, uh, Ikubo is, is uh, and Nakubo are fostering a place to have a really scary discussion. And the degree to which, uh, you know, panels of administrators are able to wrap their heads around it is a different uh, situation. What we're saying is, uh, what it sounds like you're saying is this was a, a successful place for a new platform. And actually, here's something else I got to mention here, because I, Nakubo and Ikubo are really stepping back. I mean, what I've seen in this last year is that they're really focusing on how do we produce the value that we say we produce. And uh, what's fascinating is Ikubo went through a whole branding exercise and they've really rebranded now. Now now they have to figure out how to actually implement it. But they've, they've really – they've rewritten their mission. And in some ways you could think of a mission as something that sits on the shelf. But truly 
they've got a view about who they are that has a ripple effect, I think, across at least these eastern regions. Nakubo uh, is absolutely stepping back and saying, how do we offer services, programs, sessions? And we're, you know, we, we're helping with the speaker's corner, trying to elevate, have really effective engagement with the audience, right? That's, that's the piece that they are that they're they're bumping against this is how we've always done it and we're going to step back and i'm already seeing the you know i think next year's nakubo annual meeting you're going to see some dramatically different ways to engage an audience as opposed to it just being something where somebody stands up there gives a talk i mean much more engaging kind of discussions follow up discussions after a big thing so that people are really uh, talking about the issues that's what happened with slingo we had the slingo panel and then they went into constituent groups, and then they really delve into how they want to solve these problems. So there's some fantastic work that's happening at these association levels. And I think this also has a ripple effect across the other regions. You know, my involvement has primarily been with Yakubo. Uh, the wonderful thing is this year is I'm going to be doing uh, with uh, one of my senior consultants. Uh, we'll be presenting at all of the regions uh, the topic of how to effectively collaborate and communicate financial information across your institution. So, very excited. We got a very exciting year ahead of us. Oh, it's fantastic, and it, it sounds like an organization that's taking real ownership and leadership, and in, in at least fostering a very difficult discussion. Um, got it. What a what a great meeting, great postmortem. Thanks for your time, uh, as ever, Howard. Uh, I don't wherever the winds may take you. God, I can't. I, I, I've got nothing. <laughs> you can, I should have just, I, I just let you go from that to the music. Yeah, no, I could have. I could have. We could do. We could have done like just a, you know, just kind of blowing tumbleweed sort of a thing. That's what it feels like. But where people really should go is over to tybalink.com, and uh, you can subscribe to the podcast there. You can catch up on the blog and all of our archive of fantastic uh, uh, articles and and such and so. And uh, you know, if you haven't, if you're listening to this on the website, head over to to iTunes. It is by far the number one place where people are able to subscribe to the show. Make sure you don't miss a single episode. And uh, I think that's it for us. I, I, it, it's, been a, it's been a real treat, as it always is, to sit across from you, Howard Teibel. I'm Pete Wright. We'll, we'll see you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Teibel, Inc.